Hello and welcome to Funny Business, another banging guest episode for you today. Uh, we got Clint Bartram, founder of Paid.Inc, uh, doing some amazing stuff in the construction tech space. Uh, one of the most real chats we've had, sorry, uh, Rob can't do the intro, he's a bit sick at the moment, so whatever I had, I gave to him, so just give him the day off, so he's just resting up in bed, uh, hopefully he can get well soon and join me for the intros and outros next week, but uh yeah, Monday guest episode now just makes it easy for us to be honest and we've noticed that people like guest episodes on Monday too so uh, we're going to keep it like that from now on in so yeah, enjoy this episode, it's a ripper, one of my favourite ones as you can tell probably later in the chat I get really excited and I love Clint and it's just a ripper story and so many uh, interesting insights and love his take on things so I hope you enjoy it too. You are the time box king. Put a crown on him. Crown him first time. Can you be king at something? Now, Clint, thank you so much for jumping on the Funny Business Podcast. For those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? Yes, thank you very much for having me, boys. Um, Clint Bartram. I run a company called Paid.Inc, where we provide uh, payment protection for the construction industry, which uh, is relatively topical. I think you don't have to turn too many pages in the newspaper to to work out that there's a few issues in that industry. And... uh, and that's what we're here to do is, is to try to solve uh, a few of those gleaning issues. Well, mate, there is a plenty of stuff going on at the moment. It's hard to sort of open the paper if people still read the paper or flick on the websites. I don't yeah. know. Scroll. 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 I'm a little old school. I don't, I don't mind the paper. Just sit back and have a read. Yeah, it's old school. It's like having books, you know, like having the hard copy. You're a Kindle guy, aren't you? You like listening. Oh, I grew up with my old band like he used to. Like like a straight up meme, he used to sit on the toilet in the morning and read the paper. You know, like it was just yeah. half an hour growing up. Get numb legs, settle yourself in. <laughs> but like, serious, it is pretty interesting times in, in that space. How, how are you finding it? Yeah, it, it is. It's really interesting. Um, well, it's interesting and it's saddening depending which you know which way you look at it. Every time we see something in the news, it's really about um, how something's gone wrong as opposed to what's going really, really well in the industry. So um, how do I see it? I think it's um, really treacherous times for most people building houses, which is why we're sort of not hitting the quotas that we probably should be hitting in the industry. Uh, I see it as being really challenging for builders and subcontractors and suppliers to navigate. And um, as I said, I mean, the industry needs as much help as it can get, and um, and that's why we fundamentally started the business in the first place. Was you know, been deeply inside it. You see a lot of the issues, and then you kind of ask yourself, well, what you know, what if it didn't have to be that way for other people? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I've got optimism about it, um, but it's going to take a fair bit of hard work for a lot of people to get through uh, unscathed. My, my old man's a sparky and, and runs his own business and has been on the rough end of a couple of people who have gone broke and yeah. uh, done a bunch of work that hasn't been paid. I'd love to understand yeah. a little bit about where the concept came from from you and how did it get off the ground in the first place? Yeah. Oh, mate, I feel for you, old man, because anyone who's been in this industry, uh, they understand how how risky it is. You know, you go out there and you put a lot of time, effort, money into completing jobs. And if you did not get paid is uh, it's a travesty. And it's one of the really um, sore points of construction business um, is that, you know, the funds aren't guaranteed regardless of who you're working for. You saw Porter Davis who, who are a darling of the construction industry. And unfortunately when they went under a lot of money um, was owed to trades, subcontractors, suppliers, et cetera. So, 
Um, where I started was I, I was on the property development side of things. So I did that for 15 years. I had built um, a heap of different stuff. I'd built townhouses, apartments, offices, uh, warehouses, land subdivisions. Um, and just before COVID, I had a builder go broke on one of my sites, which ended up just cascading into an absolute shitstorm and had to sell a couple of, couple of properties. Um, the banks basically moved and said, hey, there's no way you can get through these. Construction prices are going up. We don't know if we're going to lend again. Um, and it was kind of at that point where myself and, a, and another friend who was um, a builder sat back and said, this industry is pretty fucked. Um, I wonder if this happens to a lot of people in the industry. And we just started scratching that itch. And um, the more that we unraveled, the more that we found that there were more people who suffered non-payment. There were more people who had to go through the unfortunate um, situations of you know, liquidations and administration and all that crap stuff that um, a lot of construction businesses face day to day. Um, so we just sort of asked ourselves, you know, if you were to reimagine the construction industry as a whole being you know, the worst paying, uh, the most liquidated and the most disputed industry in the world, what would it look like? Um, and for us, we sort of took it all the way back to the first principles, which was basically that, you know, you and I enter into a contract when we want to do something in construction. Um, those contracts are fundamentally pretty good. Like you enter a, a HIA or a master builders contract, they've been refined over 20 or 30 years to, to protect people. The issue comes is that the system doesn't allow you to protect people because you either have to go to court. We all know that's freaking expensive when you go there and it and it takes two to three years so um we started with that in mind saying all right well if we can fix that side of things how would you do it and it really came down to connecting it um to the payments so you have the contracts talking to the payments and they're administering the projects the way they're supposed to be so in your old man situation when he goes and works for a builder those funds that are associated with our contract actually get separated out um, when they hit accounts. So the contracts are saying, here's who's owed money, here's how much money is owed, and it starts to automate it. So there's no misappropriation of funds. There's no funny business you know, where a builder goes off and buys a jet ski or his you know, house down the beach or whatever it might be. It's about how do we silo those projects and make sure they're safe for homeowners, subbies, suppliers, but also you know, help the builders out because uh, it's bloody tough being a builder out there. Well, there's a bunch of people that you live next door to a, a Porter Davis home at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I feel so sorry for for Jay and his wife who just, mm -hmm. you know, and all the people working on it. And then you're seeing some people now taking over and it's just like, it was yeah. a fucking mess, you know? Yeah. It's just like, I think having something so transparent and open like that, how have you seen the instant feedback when you first started it and then you sort of got some traction? What did that look like and where was your head at then? Yeah, well, it, it took us a really long time to get our, our heads around how that would actually work because you're bringing so many different parties and everyone's got a different view of um, how they see the industry. You know, subbies are very different from suppliers and builders are very different from homeowners. And what we basically tried to do was create a platform that benefited everyone. So we spent a long time uh, asking ourselves that question, how do we make a builder's life better? How do we make a homeowner's experience when they're building a house safer and more efficient um, when they deploy their funds because um, without those questions answered, we, you know, we'd just be building something that may or may not get some pushback. Um, so we wanted to make sure we were really diligent about uh, building something that was going to be used. Um, and 
I suppose, in terms of how it's been received um, incredibly, <laughs> incredibly well. Um, and that's only because, as I said, the issue is so prevalent for so many people. Uh, it's not like it's an industry that runs smoothly and everyone gets paid on time and, you know, we don't end up in the court system. It, like the industry's fucked. Whether It doesn't matter what way you look at it. So um, we're just trying to provide as many solutions as possible. And, and the idea is to, you know, get that out as far and as wide as possible so that when you go home and you're trying to put food on the table for your family, you've got the ability to do it. What about um, transitioning into the world of tech? You know, like you mentioned... Yeah. Uh, doing property and being involved in real estate. We can get into building another stuff later on, but like just being the man. Moving into the world of tech and, and building products and fixing payments and doing shit yeah, like that. Changing like, lives, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I think there's a um, I think there's some benefit that comes with naivety. You don't know what you don't know. And I, yeah, some people say you probably wouldn't have started if you if you knew how hard it was going to be. Um, so for me, I came with I know how to send a message on my phone. I know how to get onto Facebook and Instagram. And, and that was about the extent of it. Um, so we basically started at scratch going, well, you know, what the fuck is code? Like, what, what's it even do? I don't know. You can build a website, but is that the same as building an app? I don't know. Um, so it was a really steep learning curve. And the thing for us, and we, we say it every single day, is like our business is a people business. It's not software. It's finding the best possible people to put in those places. And we've been really lucky. We've got some awesome investors. We've got some awesome staff who work here. Um, and they're far, far smarter than I'll ever be. Um, so I always defer to uh, the experts and just pull myself out of situations whenever we're talking to someone and say, hey, look, just FYI, I'm a non-technical founder. So anything you start to talk technical, it's going to go over my head. Um, so it's I think there's some benefits that come with not understanding the complexities of, of technology. How, how do you go about hiring the right people? You mentioned there you're lucky you got the right people, yeah. but you, you know, meeting them and, and you know, judging them and, like, they're the right fit. Like, how yeah. do you go about, like, structuring that up with people that are just, like, fucking experts in the field or good for the team? Yeah, yeah. again, another re really good question. For us, we sort of got the ball rolling with an external consultant who happened to be um, an investor, like our first investors in the product. So they built the first part of what we were building with the um with the foresight to know that we were going to transition to our own team so they were really good with those first few hires you know who do we need what skill set do they need to have how are we going to architect solutions all that type of stuff um so for us we were pretty fortunate that we had some really smart people who were helping us guide you know guide what the technical direction of the company looked like and and without that um, I don't think we probably would have had a smoother transition as we as we did have. Um, but it's it, I mean it's difficult. Like people is it's a really it's a really tough thing to find talented people who one understand what you want to do, but two buy into what you're doing. Um, and it's funny, like we just had um, four or five uh, half yearly reviews with with some of our guys who were in the office today, and. Um, each and every single one of them is so passionate about what we're doing and they you know and they own their little corner of what it is um and it's so cool to watch because you you know you sort of see businesses from afar and you can admire the the passion that people have internally and it's probably similar to you guys like i look at what you guys do and see you know passionate young guys who are just having a massive swing and um that's what people have sort of entrusted with us they they sort of have bought our vision 
Um, they understand where we want to take the company and um, we're just, you know, we're just enjoying the ride at this stage. What about your role? Has that changed since it first started or wasn't what you first thought it might be when you first started it to now like managing a bunch of people and making sure like doing the half yearly reviews and stuff like that, keeping people motivated and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's definitely changed. And again, naivety with coming, you don't know what you don't know. I came from, I ran my own business, but it wasn't like running uh, a big team. There was me and a couple of consultants who would do property developments. Um, Whereas this is, it feels more like back to when I was um, playing football. Like it's a real team mentality. It's bringing the leadership skills together. It's the communication. It's the organisation that makes it really important. So um, my role continually evolves. Um, I'm very big on the the business side, um, whereas I've got other guys who focus on product and other guys that focus on sales and marketing. So um, I'm fortunate that I get, again, really smart people who can give me all the information I need to make decisions, um, and but they ultimately run their little portions of paid, at, at, you know, when, when and how they need to. I think it's refreshing, like, talking to you who have come from an outsider's perspective into the world of tech. Like, we have so many people on who are, like, technical co-founders or yeah. they've done different stuff, like, from inside the startup scene and they sort of understand how it's meant to be done versus yeah. where sometimes I feel like they might lack perspectives. Yeah, It's what's the, like, the book smarts versus street smarts is probably a nice <laughs> way of putting it. Like, people understand just because they are in the world of tech, they think it has to be done a certain way. I'm sure that you've had a bunch of learnings now from being exposed to the world of tech, like you mentioned before, like being a non-technical co-founder, but I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff you've now absorbed like a sponge that you understand how it works. You're figuring out what features you guys need to build next. You're mm-hmm. like, but you can see it and bring a different perspective to, I guess, the technical people who are very in their, in their lane. Has that been helpful too? Oh, definitely. And I think there's benefits that come with, you know, having been involved in construction for 15 years, you realize how complex it is and, Building software is not too dissimilar. You just take out uh, the weather elements out of it. It's still got a schedule. It's still got specification. It's still got planning that you need to do. And then it's about managing people on that in between. Uh, And I think that's something that our team has um, really embraced is is that um, camaraderie for for how do we make this the smoothest engine it could possibly be. Um, We... Uh, you know, wankishly, but, you know, we talk about um, internally that, uh, you know, whether special inventory is not just general infantry here. It's about having the most efficient elite team that you can possibly get. Um, and that's how we treat every, you know, every feature that we build, every sales call that we take. Um, it's supposed to be um, there for the customer. And if we don't provide the best customer experience, then we're under delivering. And um, that's just not who, who we're trying to be. What about the investment side, like getting early investors and taking them on the journey? How's that sort of been for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, it's something that, again, I hadn't really done previously. I'd, getting funding for a construction project is is far different to venture capital funding. Um, it's funny, though. Our first ever um, pitch to uh, our first ever investor, uh, I got about 30 seconds in and he stopped me and goes, mate, I'm in. I mean, this is uh, yeah, this is for me. Um, and me and my business partner looked at each other and go, "Fuck, mate, this raising cash is easy. I don't know what the fuck." You're about. <laughs> <laughs> and then anyway, we pitched another thirty or forty people afterwards, and they all said, "Yeah, no, nah, a bit early, not the right time, maybe wrong sector." And we go, "Ah, oh, shit, this is what it's actually like." Um, so it's been interesting. It's 
again, I think when you find like-minded people who share your vision, um, and that vision is really, you know, if you put in a hard day's work, you deserve to be paid for it. That's what we believe. Um, and I think a lot of that resonates with a lot of hard work and Aussies. Um, so, uh, you know, we found it difficult at different times to raise cash because you're, you're too early for some people. You know, you have, don't have enough revenue for some other people. It might be the wrong sector. Um, but we've been, again, fortunate that we have just find the right people at the right time um, who keep adding and guiding us um, down the path that we're supposed to be going. It's a bit of co- a bit of a common thematic at the moment around like revenue. Uh, have you got stuff on the board? Got some runs on the board versus being too early. Like the last, yeah. especially the last eighteen months, is the market sort of in line with everything across the board across the world? Has it's gone to shit a little bit? There's so many people who want to see one thing, but it's like, how do you get to the next part without? You know, like how do you get the traction with you might need investment to build something out or you might need (laughs) different skill sets or capabilities. So it's always like you was it borrowing from Peter to pay Paul to build something out. Has it been uh how how have you found that aspect of still trying to push through with the growth, knowing like it's a hard it's a hard thing raising, building, doing, you know, like you do everything at the same time? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, I find it very hard. I'm I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I like to see full finished product and then ship. Um, So I I have to temper myself on different things and we prioritize based on, um, you know, certain internal metrics to see what we're building next and how long that's going to take and, you know, what customers might want. Um, So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it is a difficult thing for us. Um, We haven't built, you know, a really simple business. It's, it is quite complex. Like we've built essentially like a smart contract, platform that connects to the Australian banking system that moves all these funds around. So we've got compliance and legal and AFSLs and bloody Austrack approval and all these sort of things, which I had no idea we would encounter on, you know, when we first started. So um, again, like we're sort of just been, we've been guided down certain paths at different time and you don't really know why you're headed down that path when it happens. But then when you look back, you go, ah, okay, well, yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. What about for you personally, like working on anything in, in particular to like, that might be leading teams or new challenges for yourself where you're just constantly sort of putting yourself outside the comfort zone. What are you sort of challenging yourself with at the moment? Oh, Jeez, it's a good question. Every day is challenging because you, you know, you deal with different people with, and everyone's got a different, um, everyone's got a different perspective, and everyone's got a different objective for what they're looking to get out of partnerships, relationships, business, whatever it might be. And so it's just trying to evaluate that, and just for me, I always ask myself like, how can I add value to someone else? Um, and I've got a real belief that you know when you, when you get when you act in that mindset, you find like-minded people. Uh, and I know you know we've connected um, previously, and and obviously had that good click. Uh, and you find that with other people that are in adjacent businesses, or people that you might end up partnering with, or or someone that you might end up uh, using part of their software. So uh, for me, it's just um, maintaining that um, openness to to help other people, even when you're really busy. So that's that's something I'm pretty big on that I'm still trying to work uh, hard and make sure I've got enough to give to everyone else while focusing on what I need to focus on as well. Well, mate, you're, I love this chat. You're pumping me up. You're a very oh. you're a very humble man, but you're also a very talented man. Back in that, I know we're we're twenty five half hour into the chat, but you mentioned yeah. it briefly there. 
prior prior to getting into the world of property and now being a tech founder and doing all the things that you do, uh, footy was once a big part of your life and a big part of what I can imagine growing up is what you wanted to get to and and, and make it to the big time. Can you take us back to footy career, growing up as a kid, getting the opportunity to play and, and get picked up at Melbourne and getting as many, I guess, the stint as you would? Yeah, oh, I mean... I think you've been a, a little uh, generous on the pump up there because you have to be very humble when you play in the back line and you have to be even more humble uh, when you play in the back line for Melbourne when I did because <laughs> we were on the uh, receiving ends of a few pantsings over the uh, over the journey. But, um, yeah, mate, I had, a, I had the, funnest, the funnest AFL career I think I could possibly have and didn't end up with the most successful career uh, any players ever ever come across. But for me... I loved every minute of it, um, and I've taken so many learnings from uh, the football field, and and I put them into business. and And it's funny, like our, our team always go, yeah, 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 mate. Another another analogy about sports or teamwork or leadership or whatever it might be. But um, for me, you meet amazing people at football clubs. Um, I was fortunate that um, I met awesome people in my junior career. Like I played with guys like um, you know Joel Selwood and Travis Boak and guys that are amazing um, people, amazing leaders, uh, and obviously did amazing things on the footy field. And then I got to evolve that over an eight-year span of, of playing at the at the Ds. And as I said, we didn't have any of the ultimate success. But um, for me, I know that I sort of left every stone unturned. And uh, I was relatively proud of um, being able to play 100 games. I obviously wish I could have played a few more, but um, retired at the age of 24 with uh, with about eight operations on one of my knee, and I thought that's that's probably about time to call uh, call it quits. You know what? When I done my knee when I was 17, I told everyone I got the Clint Bartram knee because I think it had some <laughs> meniscus or something. Was it was it that? <laughs> it yeah, was, Yeah, it was funny because I um in my in my last year I played half the year, and then the club said, hey. We've got some new treatments that I think will really help your knee. And um, I said to the doc, mate, I'm open to anything. I'm like, my knee was like a beach ball after every game, just full of fluid. Used to have it drained off every you know, every training session, then every game. And anyway, he said to me, mate, I've got some good news. Um, you can put on as much weight as you want for the next eight weeks. And then what we're going to do is give you liposuction and we'll take all the stem cells out of your fat. And we'll plug them back into your knee and it'll help re, you know, regenerate and recuperate it. So anyway, I, I used to go every single night. I'd call up one of the boys, one of the different boys at the footy club and say, hey, pizza night, you in? All you can eat. Uh, hey, dumplings, you know, we're going down. We're going to have a contest to who can eat the most dumplings. Anyway, in the space of eight weeks, I put on 17 kilos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's gross. So I was uh, I was a good I was a dumpling eating machine and then um, I got up there and uh, I'd never had liposuction before and I had no idea what I was doing uh, and it was one of the most intrusive humbling experiences of my life having to um, go through liposuction as a 24 year old professional athlete um, with young girl nurses who just found it funny that I was uh, I'd put on 17 kilos and was supposed to be an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like the movie stars uh, preparing for a role and stuff like Christian Bale and that they just they blow out and they do th the things that you do. But that process, getting that done, did it help or 
It, well, it, it definitely helped. So it helped from a comfortability perspective. It didn't help from being able to play, you know, elite AFL football, especially, you know, my position was very um, nimble, like playing on the small forwards or playing on um, someone who was in the midfield. So I sort of made that decision where I, I didn't want to have to have um, a knee replacement at the age of 30. I, I, like I wanted to have that longevity in my body. And they said, you know, you got three options. The first option is... Um, we try break your leg through the femur and through the tibia and fibia, and we'll try bow your leg. And I thought, well, shit, that doesn't Perfect. sound. Yeah, that sounds great. Funny. Thanks. Yeah, I'll sign up for that. Yeah, and, and then the next option was, you know, we can try um, this stem cell stuff. We'll see if it works, or you can just retire. And, and I ended up getting to the to the point where I tried the stem cell, and then I said, look, I don't want to go down the path where I, you know, I break my leg in half to bow it, to maybe have some uh, longevity on an AFL field. I'd rather take what I've learnt and, and the experience that I've had and, and place it into other things I was passionate about. And, um, you know, I was pretty fortunate that, you know, being injured a few times and throughout my eight-year career, I got to go and do other things. And, and part of that was property. So when I was 19, I bought my first property and did my first property development. Um and started to do that every year. And I was ended up, yeah, you know, I wasn't a very good football player. So I didn't make a lot of money. I ended up sort of making more money from doing the property stuff. So stepping away wasn't, it wasn't like a career decision where you go, oh, I'm leaving this um, amazing opportunity, which, um, you know, I'll never get to experience again, obviously. But I wasn't going out into the wilderness where I had nothing else to do. Well, mate, I just had a bit of a sus. I, I assume, um, Back, you, you would have remembered this pretty, pretty, pretty well. But back in uh, 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 round 19, 2010, uh, 8th of August, obviously I was the small forward that you were chasing <laughs> after. And I might have been the reason why you got a few knee injuries, but that's all right. You guys, no got what? Is that real? Yeah, we played against each other. One of my three games. So you got a, what? How many did you end up with? 103? Is that? Yeah. You had 100, 100 more games than I do. But funny enough, we played on the one of my three games. We got to play against you. How weird is that? Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and you guys won. You said, you said, hey, who you had John McDonald on you? And he said he, he was mean to you, wasn't he? He said he called me soft. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's oh, true, mate. You don't tell me, you know what I mean? <laughs> Jolly's a bit mean at times, uh, opposition, though. So that's you got to expect that from him. Although I think you might have a few slurs back his way at the moment. <laughs> In terms of, like, career moments and stuff like that, obviously playing your first game, getting drafted, that's obviously yeah. memorable. But besides that, was there any games where it just stood out for you where you were just like, fuck, that was – or a good win, a good team win where you were just like, fuck, that was pretty special? Yeah, well, they were few and far between uh, in my career. But de definitely, like, playing your first game of AFL football is such a surreal experience. Like, for me, um, I was a young kid out of um, Geelong. Like, I, I hadn't, hadn't really dreamt – like, I dreamt about playing, but I never really could conceptualise what that would feel like. And for me, I was just soaking it all in. Like, I, my ears were burning. I could hear every person in the crowd. I remember just warming up. We had a guy, David Neitz, who was in our team. I just remember listening to the, the Carlton cheer squad, like just absolutely rag him about his receding hairline. And I was sitting there pissing myself, laughing. And then I'm like, fuck, I'm supposed to be playing football. Um, so that was awesome. And then for me, um, like, the most memorable thing that I had was, like, my idol growing up was James Hurd. And James, like if you ask James, he would not have a fucking clue who I am. Um, but I remember I was playing on him at one stage and I was just sitting there looking at him and I was smiling and he looked over me and said, he goes, fuck are you looking at? 
<laughs> and in my mind, I was like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, I just I've grown up idolizing this guy for so long, and I was just so happy to be out there. And um, you lose yourself, and you remember that everyone's at one stage was a fan of of something in their life. And for me, uh, I love footy, and I love James Hurd, and I uh, was lucky enough to to run alongside him. And I'm sure he probably had 35 and kicked a couple on me. So good on him. <laughs> who, who were your bunnies though? Who did you what you didn't mind coming up against? And you were just like, I'm, I might have a good day here. Yeah, call him out now. Yeah, call him. I, I didn't mind playing against Gaz Junior. To be honest, I, he never had a real big day on me. Um, he was so he wasn't too bad. Um, Eddie Betts didn't he didn't do much. Of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there, there, are few, there are a few big names. We yeah, see Gaza. Names. We see Gaza rolling down here. Talk here a bit, don't we? I'll let him know. Just let him know. Oh, I'll, right. I'll, I'll keep this edit in my pocket just in case. I, just in case I bump into him at Coles and just say, "Hey, this is what Clint said." It's yeah. funny what you said about like smiling, hurting that up. We end up um, a few years ago. We're lucky enough to have uh, Juddy on the pod. Oh yeah, and oh, in my royalty, in my in my three games, we we didn't do very well either. I, I, my last game. We lost to Carlton by 120 points or some shit like that and got awesome. dropped as a small forward. No worries. <laughs> um, but I still remember uh, like bumping Juddy. He was running down like a bit of a bumper so he couldn't run. And then he just yeah. he looked at me like, fuck off, little boy, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, obviously, I've talked to him about it in the parties. Yeah. Like, nah, man, I played 300 plus games. Of, yeah. Don't remember that one time you bumped me in the third quarter, you know? <laughs> well, I got you good just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> yeah, that's why I got shoulder injuries, yeah. What about, have you have you put the boots back on since you retired or just not at all? Nah, not literally not at all. I um I dabble occasionally with uh, the occasional sprint session, but I have not played a single bit of competitive sports since I finished Um. I'd love to. I, w- I actually would have loved to have gone back and played some local footy because, um, as I said, I, d- I did love footy. Um, so you miss that part of it. And, like, all your mates always, like, particularly when I just finished, they're like, mate, just come down and play a few games, play it full forward. And little did they know, obviously, I wasn't I wasn't a great kick. That's why they put me in the back line. So there's no way I was going to sit up forward and kick zero goals, six. <laughs> <There's> just... <laughs> so for me, I just, didn't, I just didn't bother playing footy. My knee was... Still shot, and the body was, it was still recovering fairly, you know, fairly heavily after after eight years of just slog. Do you miss sport now? Still, like the competitive, I'm sure you get it in different ways with different business ventures. People we've had on the pod from sporting backgrounds, they always, if they've transitioned into something else, they always take a lot from yeah. what it was. But it's like almost like sometimes like a bit of a chase to replace that competitive yeah. edge or the reason you like doing stuff. And I feel the same sort of stuff. Like I like mm. what we're doing now and yeah. a bit the same. Like I miss sport bad. I haven't played any competitive sports since I did my knee and yeah. what. Whenever we do play golf, I win. So far yeah. <laughs> like get, get get too competitive at things that don't need to be competitive. You know what I mean? It's like it should be social yeah. and fun, but I'm like, where's the balance? You know? I feel like a lot comes from like you talk about teams a lot, don't you? Like I feel like teamwork, especially in business and like startups, it's like mm. that is what it is. You need people on the same page working towards like a common goal. I feel like Having the sports background, you always say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's sick of me saying sporting analogies. But, but I, I feel like when you go and work into the business world, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that start talking about teams and high-performing yeah. teams and good yeah. cultures and that. And he's like, have you ever been in a team before in your life? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, then they're like, yeah. nah. You know, like, then what do you know about high-performing Crazy. teams? I feel like when you mentioned before about, like, inventory or the people that you're working there to actually create something sick with Pay.Inc., like, I believe mm. that's that feels like that's authentic to me because I could understand mm. what it is you're trying to do with that based on your background, where you've been, who you are, all that sort of good stuff versus 
if I had another tech founder on the pod telling us they're trying to build the best team ever, I'd be like, yeah. do you know? Have you ever been in a team sort of thing? Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, my drive comes from I, I just like being the best that I can be because I've been in the position where, you know, I, I was – again, I had, I've had really good leaders around. I had a guy, Neil Danaher, who everyone knows, you know, absolute – legend and inspiration to to so many people out there but his first ever message to me before i even played a game was if you play your role in my team i will pick you no matter what and um that was something that i just i look at business and i go well that's you know that's exactly what it is i don't i don't want my back-end developer to be making ceo decisions and i don't want my marketers to be you know writing code like everyone's got a role to play in a business um, and that's what makes a really smooth, efficient team. And the other thing for me is I just like fucking competing. Like I don't care what it is. Um, and it's, it's good and bad because you kind of, if you compete with other people, you tend to, um, yeah, you you tend to benchmark that. But then on the flip side, when you tend to compete with yourself, you go, nah, I'm going to do more than I could do here or more than I could do there. Um, and I try to temper that as much as I can by, you know, going to the gym and and doing those sort of things. So it gets that, that you know, the real masculine sort of thing out of your system before you get into an environment where you have to interact with people. Um, you know, footy, you can, um, you know, smack that out a bit on the training field or on the footy field, but you can't do that in the business world. You have to, you know, you have to temper yourself. And if you are aggressive, you have to go, oh, well, how would that sound to someone else? And, and are they even going to understand me? Because it's not like it's it's not a high pressure situation for some people work. Um, so there's not the need for certain amounts of urgency or certain amounts of emotion that come with stuff. And that's all. I mean, I'm still learning all that stuff. You got to sometimes just take a breath and um, you know realize that what you're doing isn't going to be as important to someone else as it is to you. And um, that's why I just try to compete with myself more than anything now. That's like when you get really angry when like technology stops working or the computer stops working. Like you get like to fix it, I'll waste all my energy on pounding yeah. my fist on the table. There's one, there's one of the few things where like he's not really not really like an angry dude. Sometimes you're a bit grumpy, you're a bit of a yeah. grumpy prick sometimes, but not yeah, like yeah, yeah. when I'm around you. It's... But not like but not, <laughs> anger is just when technology stops working. It's like but the self awareness thing I think is awesome. Where you're just like, hey, like to know how to temper that and like I we say it all the time. Sometimes like we need we need to go to the gym and just punch it out on the on the. There's going to be something else. Like you can't just work all yeah. the time, you know. I feel that like energy's all pent up, I especially feel, if you're yeah. running your own thing. But like, I know it. There's always more to do. <laughs> I know. Right? I don't do it. I don't do it all the time, but I know I should do it. <laughs> yeah. But there's always more you can do. You know what I mean? Like if you're doing your yeah. own thing and running your own stuff, it's like, yeah. When do you shut the laptop lid, or mm. when do you choose to stop doing stuff? It's probably a good segue question we ask. Yeah, like, yeah that's that smooth as. You're feeling been, good today. I've been running a pod for a while. Wild right? oiled machine. Question we ask all our guests is a bit of a mental health one. What do you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Yeah, again, good question. I, I think I think health and fitness, um, particularly mental health and fitness, go hand in hand. Like for me, I've like I read. I'm an avid reader and and learner of um, you know different perspectives and. For me, I've always understood how important the physical side is with the mental side. Whether it's just going for a walk, whether it's I really enjoy surfing, and it's one because it's physical, but two, there's just you know there's kind of just that nothingness out there. You're not you're not worried about oh, I've got to send that email. For me, I'm just looking at the horizon, seeing what's coming in. You know, thinking 
what am I going to do when I stand up? Am I going to do a turn? Am I going to try do X, Y, and Z? Usually it's fall off, but um, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, so for me, it's I, I like the the surfing. I like getting away. I like you know doing other other sort of weird stuff that takes your mind out of it. Like we do ice baths here at the office, which you know some of the staff think is a bit weird. <laughs> um, but we we do that sort of shit just to again like it's a mental challenge. It takes you out of um, the experience that you might be in if you're feeling a bit shitty you can't concentrate on anything else besides being cold in those moments so um, i love that bro i've been i've been ending showers cold for the last like 10 years i reckon and i just it? oh it's just especially when you're stressed out and stuff just have yeah, a cold yeah. shower you know what yeah. i mean like you, you put up with rob for eight hours you go have a cold shower you used to have the surfboard in the room we first moved out together you had yeah, the surfboard the guitar, in the room let everyone know yeah, a little bit. I couldn't stand up. I could kneeboard, but I used <laughs> I to love that. going down. They don't know that. <laughs> they don't know that. No one knows shit. But Rob, Rob, you love it down here as well. Like growing up here, you'd fucking you'd have a few good spots, wouldn't you? Oh, it's awesome. Um, my my favorite spot ever, and not a lot of people serve it, is Bankura, and because it's a bit fickle, like it works on a bit bigger swell. But when it's good, it is as good as anywhere on the coast. Mate, I was walking the dogs there two days ago and all i could think is every time i go to that beach is just, it just has that <laughs> eerie feeling of sharkiness it's very sharky, and I, yeah. i've only surfed out there maybe like one or two times but not for a while and even just walking the dogs on the beach or just going for a swim there i'm thinking there's not much around no. you know like there's no one else to get munched if i'm out here yeah, but, but, yeah but it's a it's not a big liner you know you oh. can catch a wave yeah but like you you do the math too you're like there's three other guys out I'm a 33% chance of getting eaten. Like I've seen out there a, a dead seal floating and there was probably, I don't know, maybe 15 guys out. And this was 50 metres out past the break and the seal was just bobbing around. And so we surfed for maybe half an hour. And then at some stage there was just this thrashing around the dead seal and then the seal was gone. I've never seen 15 dudes paddle in faster in all my life. And it's a freaking big paddle in too, so... Um, Some you're right. Like it is a bit out there and being by yourself, you know, like they want to go out there and be like the solo person in the lineup. No. I'm happy for there to be a bit of a crowd. I'm happy to sit in the middle. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm happy to paddle around you when you the wave. cheer people. There you go. Good wave, man. They're like, no, no. fuck up. I'm happy to sit in the middle and I'll paddle, I'll paddle around when the set comes, make sure I'm in the right spot. But like, I'm not getting eaten. Toes around the water. I ride the bigger boards now because oh. I just I am a bit freaked out about the <laughs> sharks. You know, being down this way, it's hard not to. Like, I feel like it'd be like. um I feel like you're more chance of getting struck by lightning, aren't you? I, I, but I'm with you. Like, I like to relax. I like to be out there. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. all good. And then all of a sudden, you like see a shadow and that. I'm like, all right, and I'm freaked out again. And it's, I've been surfing my whole life. Still can't. Still he can't still shakes with the light on, Clint. So he's scared yeah. by like shadows and everything. Yeah, that's really- why Joe. That's why Joe McDonald was getting into you, mate. He that's- he saw that in your eyes, and he was like, he's someone who would put his toes up on the surfboard. <laughs> he, ju- he jumps over puddles. And I jump over shadows. I still shook him, but I'll send. Oh, the- I'll send you the video. I will, man. It's uh. It's still early in 2024. What's uh what's on for the year? Uh, we got a monster year. So we've got a lot of um, big partnerships that we've signed up with um, some industry bodies. And we've got some big uh, funders who, who are putting um, cash flow funding in for builders. And we've got a lot of building. So we yeah we've built this this big robust platform. But um, as I said, we like my mentality is always you got to consistently be getting better. Uh, so everything we do um, is about getting better, making sure that we're providing more and more value for for the entire supply chain for what we do. Um, and in terms of what else is next, it's a good question. I, I take it as it comes. I, I hope. I mean, 
I'm sure it's good stuff. It's just that all comes down to people and making sure that you're doing the right thing. Well, maybe people learn more. Wanky, but that's that's just no, my it's, it's, it's the truth, though. It's not wanky at all, bro. Uh, if people want to, he's awake. If, if people want to learn more or find out more, how, how do they get in touch? How do they find out about what you're up to? Yeah, oh, they can hit us on any any avenue they want. If they're on Instagram, if they're on LinkedIn, if you, you want to go to the website and send us through an inquiry, it's www.paid.inc. Inc. Um, or just reach out to me personally. I'm as I said, I'm happy to chat to whoever, whenever, um, and try help out as much as I can for whatever other people are doing as well. Well, mate, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Been one of my favourite chats in the last oh. like four years, I reckon. Four years. Yeah. So he just started. Oh. Honestly, you just he knows how to make you feel nice before he hits stop. So he's trying to get no, you to no, see. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Legends. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the chat. Clint Bartram, what a man! What a man! Uh, doing some amazing stuff. If you like this episode, leave us a review or tell a friend. Rob would love that. Actually, if he was here, that's what he would say. Uh, tell a friend it really goes a long way to to grow on the show and we'd really appreciate it and uh yeah if you don't follow us already on our socials give us a follow i mean we like to keep up to date and we like to show what we're doing so uh there's just another place you can contact us as well so uh keep updated because the next couple of weeks we've got some good guests so uh strap yourself in and uh enjoy